Let's go to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to begin reading in verse 18. What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also, Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul's earnest expectation and hope in verse 20 is that he would get out of this mortal body and absent from the body, he would be present with the Lord. Every believer has the expectation of leaving his body and entering into the presence of Christ, but it is not every believer's earnest expectation and hope. And Paul goes on to say, the reason why my earnest expectation and hope, in other words, it's not just going to happen, I really want it to happen. It's going to happen for every believer, but I really want it to happen. And he gives the reason for that in verse 20, 21. For, what's another word for for in this context? Anybody? Because. He says, it's whether it be by life or by death, he says, for, to me, to live is Christ. The reason why I am really looking forward to being with Jesus in heaven, I, that's what I want more than anything. I want to see Christ. By the way, he, he doesn't talk about being in heaven. He doesn't say absent from the body, in heaven. The whole excitement for Paul was not being in a place where there was no pain and, and suffering. All of that, of course, comes with the package. But what really tripped Paul's trigger was that I get to be with Christ. The whole Christian life is Christ. Paul goes on to say in verse 21, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. He didn't look at it as a lesser of two evils. He said, I'm having a hard time, he goes on in verses 22 and following, he said, I'm having a hard time knowing which one I'd rather have, not which one I would settle for. I mean, neither one of them are good, but I guess I have to. No, he said, they're both awesome, and I'm having a hard time deciding. But he said, to me, to live, to be alive, is Christ. Now, they used to have a t-shirt that said, ball is life. And now everything else, you know, knitting is life. My cat is my life. Uh, I feel sorry for you if a cat is your life. I mean, I know you're a cat lady and all that, but um, uh, if you're a dog, now the dogs are okay, but cats, um, isn't it amazing how as, as, as believers we can identify with certain hobbies and subsets of American civilization, and that becomes our life. It's, why we, it's what we look up on our phone all the time. It's the Facebook groups that we're involved in. It's the people we hang out with. We think the same way. This becomes our life. To live is Christ. Now, I want to tell you something. People say today, you'll hear in modern Christianity, you'll hear, accept Jesus into your life. But may I remind you that without Christ, you do not have a life. 
Now, you're alive physically, but you have no spiritual life to bring Jesus into. Jesus is the life. If you would, take your, hold your place here. Go back one page or two to Ephesians chapter 2. Maybe it's three pages. Ephesians chapter 2, to the left. He said here in verse 1, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. You were dead. (laughs) I brought a friend today. Here he is. Reminds me of some folks in church. (laughs) If If they could have their druthers, amen. If I could just lay out here. Bask in the love of God. Here he is. Now, what in the world? I don't do a lot of object lessons, frankly, because I can't think in the moment to make it work. I just, I lose my life. But, you know, this, this reminds me that God, the Lord said he, he formed Adam from the dust of the ground. He looked like a human. Now, this thing's a rough approximation of a human. And, uh, and, and so here, here's this, person, right? And it's a symbol, it's it's a type, it's a picture of man without Christ. Now the only difference is this. What's spookier than this doll lying down? How about this? This doll talking by itself. That's the subject of horror movies right there. Remember one time I was lying in my bed and uh and, 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 and my closet was, was right there next to the bed. And I opened my eyes, and there was a child's head right there. And it scared me to death. And I had, I had nightmares. I had something later on. I, I thought that there was a child standing in my closet. You know, and children, you know it's, it's a horror movie when they're standing still. Children never stand still. They never look at you. They never focus. But in your dreams and your nightmares, they do. And they look into your soul. And this child was standing in my closet among, among all of my clothes and my suits. And there he was. Well, it's a freaky thing. Because we, we understand that a doll is not supposed to. I mean, I know back in the 80s, remember Cabbage Patch dolls? They caught them talking. Remember, these are some of the, some of the lore that I heard when I was a kid. And that's why we know it's evil can't have these things. They talk on their own. And they have the devil's name signed in the rear end. That's another thing, too. I'm telling you right now. You learn stuff here. You're not going to learn anywhere else. Avoid cabbage patch dolls. Dolls, you know, th- th- there's nothing spookier than going into a place where there's, there's a dead body and nobody else is there. Because you always wonder, is the thing going to get up and move? But, but, but the point is this, spiritually speaking, if you could see in the spirit realm, this is you if you don't have Christ. And so he said, you were dead in trespasses and sins. And I could say to this puppet, okay, talk, talk. Come on, let's go. Entertain the kids. Teach them a Bible lesson. They'll listen to you. They won't listen to me. Talk. And he just sits there. He's not even twitching. And I'm glad that he's not. Because there's, there's nothing in this thing to move itself. It's like a person without the Lord Jesus Christ. 
You could tell them all day. You need to love your brother. You, you, need, you need to read your Bible. You, you, you need to, to not covet and not lust. You, you need to lift up your eyes to things above. You know, we, we would say, you know, he's not going to do it. He can't do it. But yet, how much of religion is based on telling a corpse to try to serve and glorify Jesus Christ? Come on, you need to be a better person. They're dead. You know, you could tell them, if there was a way for, for that, that puppet to even hear me, and I could say, listen, uh, you need to get up on, on Monday morning and you need to go out and do what God wants you to do. Even if he could hear me, there's nothing he could do to do it. Why? Because for to me, to live is Christ. You see, it's not just that the reason I'm alive is to serve Jesus Christ. Back it up just, just a hair. It's only because of Christ that you have life at all. Now, this is the very difficult challenge because for, for a believer. Why? Because spiritually speaking, we're lying like this. But physically, you're not lying down. You're animated. You're moving around. You go to work. You come home. You do your hobbies. You go with your family. You are moving physically. Now, what folks will say, some theologians have got off track, and they said, because he's spiritually dead, he cannot respond to God, period. And so then they have to invent this idea that God somehow makes him alive so that he can respond to God. May I remind you, the first man died spiritually, yes? Adam. He died. When sin, when sin came into the world, death by sin. And so death passed upon all men. But may I remind you that even a spiritually dead man in the Garden of Eden was called by God himself. God called a spiritually dead man. What did he say? Adam, where art thou? Spiritually dead man that was communicating with God. It is possible for a person who is dead in trespasses and sins to communicate with God. How do I know that? Because God did it. God did it. Yes, spiritually speaking, he's dead. Romans chapter 7 says, I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. Here's what's crazy about it. The reason why a person dies spiritually is not just because they were born in sin, but because they all choose to sin. I was alive without the law once, Paul said. He was safe. He was not going to die and go to hell if he died before what we call the age of accountability. He was alive without the law once. But when the commandment came, Sin revived. When the commandment came, that is, when, when, when this little thing heard, thou shalt not steal, and he decided to steal, guess what? Sin revived, and I spiritually died. And so even though before he was not technically born again, but he was in a safe zone, but because of the law, the law said don't, and he did, and so he died. And so he's dead in trespasses and sins. 
The commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin taking occasion by the commandment deceived me, and by it, by the commandment, slew me. That's what the law does. It condemns people. It offers no spiritual life. So the law says, don't covet. And Paul was a zealous Jew, and he said, I'm not going to covet. God said, don't do it. I'm not going to do it. And he tried, and he tried, and he tried. But all he did was think about what he wanted. And it made it even worse. Because now he said, I've got this desire in me that the law says don't do it. Now, because the law says don't do it, it builds up a callousness in me that says, I don't care anymore. Because I want to do it, even though the law says don't do it. The law makes sin exceeding sinful. It pushes you in the direction of self-righteousness. The law exposes the sin. But there was no life in Paul to produce the character that the law said he should have. Christ is our life. God is a righteous and a holy judge. And we've all sinned against him. We have offended him. We've offended his holy character. We have alienated ourselves from him. And in doing so, we have exposed ourselves to his righteous anger. What does God think about sin? He hates it. He hates sin. And so God sent his son Christ to die the death that we deserved. That's the death of Jesus Christ. And his death and his resurrection is the only way to be reconciled back to God. And how do you do that? You have to respond to the gospel that he offers you. You repent of your sins and you believe the gospel. Repent and believe. They're two sides of the same coin. You can't properly repent unless you are believing in Jesus Christ. And you don't believe in Jesus Christ unless you are repenting of your own self-righteousness. Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And so for you to come up with your own idea of how you're going to get to heaven, well, I know the Baptists say this, and I know the Lutherans say that. All denominations are simply groups of people who have said, we believe that this is what Scripture teaches based on this. Some groups bring in tradition. And Baptists have some tradition, no doubt about it. Lutherans, Methodists, Catholics, Episcopalians, you, you name the denomination. It's just a group of people who say, this is what we believe the scripture teaches. But what, what any church teaches, doesn't matter what the church is, there is no power in any church to raise a dead spirit to life. Why? Christ is our life. Not the church, not getting baptized, not keeping the commandments, not giving to, to, to good causes. The only way for you to be born again, to be, have your spirit revived, is for you to repent of your sin and believe the gospel. Believe that the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a sufficient payment for God to put you into his family. That's how you're forgiven by God. That's how you're reconciled to him. That's how you're saved from the wrath to come. Hold your Bible there uh, and, and, and turn back a little bit more, if you would, to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. He says in verse 16, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we, the works of the law, cannot justify me, but the faith of Jesus Christ 
can justify me. Because of that, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. Some people say, well, it's the faith that God gives you. You don't even have the faith. Well, I'll tell you this. It is true that I can receive his salvation, but I must believe in his salvation. God is not going to save you against your will. He is going to offer it to you, and you must make a decision. It's a gift, isn't it? If it's a gift, a gift must be received. And so a person who receives the Spirit of God, who receives salvation, he receives it as a gift. And you say, why are you talking about this? There's some here this morning that you've known this for 50 years. You've been in church all your life. You've heard that. But I'm, I'm, I'm here. To, I, you've got to start here. Because if you don't remember that Christ is your life, you will get messed up in your Christian life. Back to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. But God, verse number 4. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. When you say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know my sin is going to take me to hell. But I believe that Jesus Christ paid for my sins personally. He paid for them on the cross and that he went into the ground and he came out three days, three nights later, proving that he was the sinless, innocent son of God. I believe that. By faith, I believe that. You know what happens? Christ comes into you. Here is the life inside of you. Now, if you'll notice here, this thing now, to, to the simple minds that we all have, appears to have life. And where is that life coming from? That thing would sit here until it turned to dust. But because something else, someone else got inside of him, now he looks like he has some form of life. Now, that's a weak illustration of what took place when we got saved. The life that we now live in the flesh, we live by the faith of the Son of God. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Do you have Jesus Christ? If you do not have Jesus Christ, I didn't say, have you tried your best to be a good person? That's not what it says. It says, he that hath the Son hath life. This thing can do nothing without me. Isn't that what Paul said? What Christ said, without me, ye can do nothing. Without me, ye can do nothing. Don't be offended. You see what I'm saying? The point, the whole idea of this is that Christ is our life. He that hath the Son hath life. Now let's take our Bibles and go to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to put this guy away. So when, when Paul said, when he said to live is Christ and to die is gain, it means that 
that it was the most important thing in his life. Christ was the most important. So you could easily see how to do this. All you have to do is, is replace Christ with a blank. For to me, to live is, and insert the blank. What would that be for you? It could be your career, it could be your grandchildren, it could be your dog, it, it, could, it could be your hobby, it, it could be your spouse, it could be a, m- a number of things. For Paul, to live is Christ. Now, it, you know, it makes for great preaching and it's like, amen, I'm glad some people are doing it. But that is not for certain people, it's for every person. Why? You don't have any life without Christ. That puppet is dead. That's you and I spiritually without Christ. But because of, because of Christ, we have life. So you don't have a life. You're bought with a price. You have nothing unless Christ gives it to you. So this life, you say, well, I mean, I know spiritually speaking. Yeah, spiritually speaking. But, but, but what's more real to you? Your physical life or your spiritual life? I know we all live in physical homes. We all have places that we live and we drive physical vehicles and we eat physical food. Then we do physical things. We interact with the physical world with our hands. And we, if we're not careful, we think that's the real stuff. But, but here's, the, here's the question. What happens afterwards? What happens next? What, what's the following after that chapter? Then what? You could trace your life all the way down. And we know where it all ends. It ends uh, either in an urn full of ashes or in a box under the ground. That's where it ends for all of us, physically speaking. Paul said, for me to live is Christ. How do you make Christ your life? Well, you can't leap into this thing. It's not just going to be an instantaneous, now Christ is everything to me. It's a long process. Now, Christ is in you regardless, and you're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, as we heard sung about this morning. You're sealed. But do you really live every day as if Christ was the most important one to you? How do you get there? Well, Paul tells us, Colossians chapter 3, he said, If ye then be risen with Christ, Colossians 3, 1, Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Wait a second. You mean there's something I have to do in, in, in my life in order to live a life where I could say, Christ is my life. I, for to me to live is Christ. Yes. Spiritually speaking, you are saved eternally. Why? Because if God gives you his son, he is not going to take it back. It never was anything you earned to begin with, and it's not something you have to keep. It's something that he keeps. It's his work that he does from start to finish. But but there is something that you and I must do in order for us to be able to say, for to me, to live is Christ. And he says in verse number one, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Here's the first point. Recognize that the believer's life is powered from above. 
empowered from above. I'm not talking to you if you have never been regenerated, if you've never been saved, if you've never been born again. I'm not talking to you this morning at at this point. Your point is before you have to receive Jesus Christ, repent and believe the gospel. If you don't, you're dead in trespasses and sins. But if you are alive, if you are risen with Christ, you must seek those things which are above. The average person seeks those things which are below. The average Christian sometimes thinks about the things that are above, but most of the time thinks about the things that are below. Notice, there's nothing wrong with the things that are below, but the heart is the key. Watch, look at verse number two. Set your affection, your desire, your inclination, your wishes, your passions, your emotions, your loves, your attraction, your enthusiasm, your energy, whatever you want to call it. Set your affection, what fires you up, should be things above, not on things on the earth. Whose responsibility is it to set your affection? It's yours. It's mine. It's not God's responsibility. I just really wish I was closer to God. I don't feel close to God. It's because you are not setting your affection. I, it's almost as if God says, I asked you to put it up there. Why, why is it still down here? You... Set it up there. Set your affection. You know, they used to call them TV sets, right? And and you can imagine, you take that TV and you set it wherever you want. And then you choose the channel. Some of you remember back in the days when you only had two channels, three channels. And yet, you still chose to put it, turn it on, and to watch that one channel. Even if you had to use, you know, uh, rabbit ears and tin foil, and I don't know what all, you know, connect the family together, you know, out the door, hold on to the flagpole or whatever you had to do to get it working. But you choose to do that. You are setting your affection. You're, you set the, the, uh, your clock. Or you set your, uh, the timer on your oven. You are responsible for that. And the Lord is telling us, set your affection. You have affection. Well, I, this is the way I feel. I can't, help, I can't help how I feel. That's a lie. You can help how you feel. I'm not saying it's easy. But you know, the first thing you've got to recognize is that your life is powered from above. Set your affection on things above. Why? You already are risen with Christ. You're already there in heavenly places. You're seated there, Ephesians chapter 2 tells us. So now, go ahead. and You want to know why you feel so disjointed? It's because you don't belong down here. And Christian, if you feel like you're kind of getting into a groove where things are looking good down here, man, you're backslidden. Because you think that somehow Christianity is something that you give mental assent to, and then you do whatever you want. If anybody says anything about it, you you tell them, hey, chapter and verse, buddy. (laughs) I used to know some people who believed that two years ago. Thank God I'm free from that nonsense. That's not what Christ is calling you to. Your life is literally powered from above. It's as if you think you're now the puppet master. That somehow your hand is inside of yourself directing your life. And it's not. Believer, your life is no longer yours. And yet, you still have that old flesh. Look what he says. Set your affection things above. Verse 3, for ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Spiritually, I'm not dead. I'm alive. But in my flesh, that old nature is dead. Paul said, I die daily. 
Every day I have to tell that puppet, you're not in charge of this boat. You're not in charge of this world. You're not in charge of this life. I have to die and say, it's life, the life that I now live in the flesh. Is, I don't live it by me and my desires. I live it by his desires. Look what he said. I die, you're dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. How unfair is that? That he hid my life in Christ. Because you know what? The only way for me to find my life, I'm looking for myself. I just don't feel like I know who I am. I just need to go back in my past. I need to interview everybody I've ever met. I need to go back to the elementary school that I used to attend. I need to go by my old house. And I need to find all my neighbors. And I need to talk with everybody. And eventually, I'll figure out who I am. If you're a believer, can I help shortcut it for you? You are going to have to seek after Christ in order to find your life. Because he hid it inside of God. You're not going to be happier if you go back and find out all the influences and all the experiences and sort through it and sift through it and sit down and talk to all the counselors and finally get it locked in. I know who I am, so now I can live my life the way I want to. Let me ask you, whose best interest would it serve for you to think that way? It would serve your best interest. It would serve the devil's best interest, but it wouldn't serve God's best interest. For you to go back and try to figure out who you are. You're dead. You are dead. I don't know how to say it. I'll try to say it a bunch of different ways. You don't have an identity outside of Christ. Well, yeah, I do. I was raised back in the hills. I was raised out in the plains. I was raised up on a mountain. I was raised underwater. We all have these things that we say, this is my heritage, my background, my ethnicity. And from a human, physical standpoint, sure. But can I remind you that it doesn't matter what race you are or heritage you are, you're going to end up in a box in the ground or in a little urn full of ashes that hope nobody puts in their food or anything. You say, that's crazy. Hey, listen, didn't he tell us that we were going to return to dust? I'm fighting for my dust. You ain't touching my dust. You're dead. But you're not dead. Your life is hid with Christ in God. You know the reason why you don't have any happiness, any joy, and fulfillment? Because you're deathly afraid of approaching Jesus Christ and finding out what he wants for your life. You're fighting against it. You're saying, no, 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 that means I can't be happy. I can't have hamburgers anymore. We can't go on vacations. Let me ask you this. Who invented your olfactory nerves, your ability to taste and smell? God did. God didn't just give that to unsaved people who lived their own lives. God gave it to all humans, the ability to taste and see and smell and hear what, what helps us enjoy the world. It's a gift from God. Why would you run from a God who created such wonderful things? Can I tell you why? You're listening to the lie of the devil that says ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Here's a life you can live. You don't have to follow God. You can follow your own life. And you can even call it something like Christianity because you still go to church, but in your heart, you are not, your life is not Christ. To, for you to live is not Christ. For you to live is overtime. For, for you to live is vacation. For you to live is memories. For you to live is family. For you to live is a lot of other things. And thank God for those, but they're way on down the line from Christ himself. 
They must be. How else could a guy like Paul, who is in a prison cell at the time, saying, for me to live is Christ, and I don't even know if I want to stay here or if I want to go. The average American is miserable. With all the money they have, and all the security, and all the accoutrements, the luxuries, the the blessings that we've been given, we're still not happy. Here's Paul, who is saying, man, I have a hard time whether I want to stay here. Should I stay here, or should I go and be with Christ? That's, that's far better. You know what? I'm going to stay here. You know why? Because every inch of his reservoir was filled up with the love of Jesus Christ. He was pumped about seeing Jesus. And he really liked Jesus a lot, and he was really interested, but it wasn't just an attraction or a hobby for him. It was his very identity. Let me remind you, that took time. That wasn't wake up, go to the altar, Read, have your devotions one day, and boom. No. Remember John the Baptist said, he must increase, I must decrease. That means he, he has to go up, and I have to go down. And that's, that's the work sometimes of years and years. And you can lose the progress you've made in a moment, can't you? But, but Paul said, that's why I live. You're dead, your life is hid with Christ in God. And so then he goes on to say, verse number th- four, when Christ who is our life shall appear. Christ is our life. You've got to recognize that the believer's life is powered from above. Verse 1 says, seek those things which are above. Set your affection on things above. Your life is hid with Christ in God. Where is Christ coming from when he appears? He's coming from his glory, from heaven, and he's coming to this earth. Our life is powered from above. Let me give you another weird illustration. There's a, a missionary, C.T. Studd. He was at a fair one day, and he saw a man pumping a well as hard and as fast as he ever had seen, and he stood and watched him, he said, for about an hour. And he could not believe that this guy never slowed down. And so he was mystified. He said, how in the world? This guy must, he is he's the most powerful man I've ever seen. He never slowed down with his pump. For an hour. So he got closer to him, and he noticed that his elbows were hinges, and he noticed that this man was just a wooden figure. And in fact, he wasn't pumping the well at all. The well was pumping him. The well was an artesian well. An artesian well. Do you know what an artesian well is? I'm going to show you this picture, give you an idea. I'm not a scientist, but I think this is really cool. See if I can explain it at all, if I understand it. <clears throat> now, you'll notice up here, there, there, there is, on the left, you see that flowing artesian well. Underneath that, you'll see the stream, and that stream is fed from an unconfined aquifer. Now, notice, the water table is that dotted line up there. That's how high the water gets. And it's fed from an unconfined aquifer. Now, it's called unconfined because it is not confined by the earth. Because there's a stream there that's leaking out the unconfined aquifer. Can you see that? So it's not under pressure. So an artesian well is something that is coming from a confined aquifer. Notice the confined, that white strip right there. It is confined by the upper confining bed and the lower confining bed. It's under pressure. There's water under there, 
an aquifer, water under there that's under pressure because there's nothing that's leaking out. It's getting fed from the rainfall. And notice that the recharge area up there is higher than the water table. It's higher than the water table. The source of water is higher than the water table. So the source is over here. The second thing to notice is that the confined aquifer has nothing that leaks. There are no leaks. There's no lakes, rivers, streams that are being fed by the confined aquifer. So it's just sitting there as water. And because it's higher than the water table, it's under pressure. It's looking for some place to go. Are you following me so far? So when you drill down past the, con- the unconfined aquifer, past that confining bed, and you tap into that, the water says, finally, been waiting for somebody to tap me. And it just goes. So I want to make this, this, this metaphor here, this type, this analogy, if you will. If you think about this as the spirit of Christ, now I, I want you to hold your place in, in Philippians and, and let's turn to one more place today. I'm sorry, Colossians, maybe you were. I don't know where you were. Colossians is where we're going to go back in a moment. But, but hold your place. Go to John chapter 4. We talked about the woman at the well earlier today. And the Lord said, I'm going to give you something beyond a well to the woman at the well. John chapter 4, look at verse 13. John 4, 13. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. That's the reason why I've already... I've already had one cup of water, but I'm still thirsty. And by the way, why am I thirsty? Because when I speak, moisture is coming out of my mouth constantly. When you speak, moisture comes out of your mouth. That's why when your voice is raspy, you don't have enough moisture to coat your vocal folds, so forth and so on, blah, blah, blah. But, that, but, but he said, you're going to drink water, you're going to thirst again. Verse number 13. Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. You see, the, the, the water table there is higher than the well. But the source of the water is higher than the water table. You know, the song says, the streams on earth I've tasted, more deep I'll drink above. The, the, the more deep water that you and I can, can drink from Christ is not just available when we get to heaven. It's available right now. The water that I shall give him shall be in him a spring a well of water springing up into everlasting life. What's the point? You see, if you're thinking about you having to pump Christ out from some unknown aquifer below and trying to get him into your life, you're thinking of it wrong. You didn't get saved by your own own power and your own works. And you're not going to power through in your own life and your own works. It's not you moving the pump. It's Christ moving you. Christ is in you, and if Christ is in you, he has all the power. He is your life. You see, what the average believer does is they live their own life, and they're like, oh, I need to get some Jesus in. I need to get some Jesus in. So I don't feel guilty about the fact that he's not my life. 
I, I mean, I love Jesus and all. He's done a lot for me. But, you know, at some point, you've got to get down to brass tacks. Tell that to the Apostle Paul, who left a great career and left an amazing list of accomplishments and said, I count those things but dung so that I may win Christ. I'd rather be languishing in a prison cell, hated of all people, because Jesus Christ is everything to me. And that story has been repeated time and time again throughout history. Paul is saying, you know what make, makes me tick? You know where I get all my resources from? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is my life. Now, Christian, if you're like me and you sit there and you think, man, I mean, I, I want Christ to be my life, but I don't... I, Ask yourself this question, first of all. What energy is powering your life? What energy? If Christ is our life, we need to stop trying to help him out and then asking him to bless what we do after we've already done it. And we need to go back and say, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? What is it that you want? You're my life. You saved me. Do you believe you're going to be in heaven forever with him? Do you believe that wherever Christ is, that you're going to be with Christ forever? How many believe that this morning? You know what that means? If you believe that, because you've trusted in Christ for salvation, that right now you have access to a confined aquifer, and its source is in heaven in the presence of God. Its source is not down here with this stream. It's not leaking anywhere. You say, I can't make it through the trial that I'm going through. No, you probably can't, but Jesus Christ can And you have access to unconfined power. You have the ability to access Christ who is above. You don't have to read all the books and sometimes books help. You don't have to have all the conversations and sometimes they help. But I can tell you this, all of those things pale in comparison to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that powers you through your everyday normal routine life. Colossians chapter 3 verse 5. So first of all, if you want to make Christ your life, you've got to recognize that the only power for your life is from above. And number two, you must refuse to allow crucified flesh to power your life. He said, if Christ, if you're risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. He says there in verse number uh, four, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall he also appear with him in glory. Verse 5, mortify, therefore, because of the fact that Christ is our life, mortify your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection. The affection is supposed to be set on things above. If it's not set on things above, my life, my passion, what I really want from life, it's not set on things above. It's inordinate. It doesn't go well. It's like ugly sweater day. Your life is jarring if it's not set on things above. Evil concupiscence and covetousness, which is idolatry. These are the members which are upon the earth. And these are the things that are sapping us. Those streams, inlets that long to connect with this earth. They long to just leak out. Why? I have desires. I have, I have things I want to do with myself. I really want this for my family. I want this for myself. And now, you know what? Actually, I think I deserve this. It's about time I got mine. I've sacrificed. 
I've tithed. I've been faithful. I've been disciplined. It's about time I got something for me. Careful. Careful. You're going to miss out on the artesian well of Jesus Christ. The stream is going to flow. But it's not going to result in spiritual fruit. It's going to result in carnality. It's going to result in a hybrid Christianity that looks good on the outside, but has no power. It has no holiness. It's not authentic. It's not sincere. Yes, you're preaching Christ, but you're doing so out of envy and strife. Why? Because your power source is coming from the wrong place. You're seeking to pull up a well and, and dig down and find something for yourself. He said, mortify your members which are upon the earth. Galatians 2.20, he said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live, what are the next three words? In the flesh. You see, Christianity is not just a really cool bedtime story that we tell our kids and then put it away until the next time. He said, the life which I now, now live in the flesh. Slap yourself. That's your flesh. That's your body. And somehow it's all connected. Those members are connected in that physical body. The life that you now live in this thing right here. Man, if you, if you, if you need help, slap yourself this morning to know what I'm saying. Slap or, or ask your spouse. Slap, slap me right here. The life that you live in this thing right here. Are you getting it? This thing. Not your some ethereal spirit that's going to be in heaven somewhere. This thing right here. You say, stop slapping yourself. Listen, I'm trying to help you understand that we think there's this disconnect between Christian life and the real life that I really live. The life that I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God. How much of Jesus Christ is powering your ambitions? How much of his life is what gets you up in the morning? You say, that's a tall order. And if you're not careful, Christian, you're going to think it's not for me. It's for super Christians that are like in the institute, super Christians that are like big time evangelists. And then they like know a lot. No, if you're saved, Christ should be your life. And it's going to take time. You're going to have to die daily, but you're going to have to set aside the members which are upon the earth and stop tapping in, uh, leaking out into these streams and tap into that source from above. Maybe you haven't, maybe you just haven't gone far enough with your flesh to realize that it's hopeless. Maybe you're living in that constant shadow between dark and light where you're thinking, yeah, I love Jesus and I want to be saved, but I got some things I want to do. Man, but he said, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Young person, old person, I, I want to implore you this morning to put some faith in the life of Jesus Christ for the flesh life that you're living right now. Not just for your life in eternity, but for right now, in some faith in the Son of God for your job, for where you live, for your health, for your family, for your, your hobbies, for your desires and goals. Put some faith in the Son of God inside of that. You know why people don't go to the mission field as much anymore? I can tell you why. Because they just like America. And because it's cool. You know why people don't give out tracts or witness or talk to people? I can tell you why. Because it sure is good to be an American. We even replace our commitment to the Son of God. We replace it with a feeling of patriotism and thankfulness for the sacrifice of our military. And we thank God for that. But, it, but, but those are two separate spheres. 
The life which I now live in the flesh, I must live by the faith of the Son of God. Why? Because he loved me and he gave himself for me. Christian, I implore you, as I read this, I am, I am challenged to my core to say, that's not me, God. I, I can't say for me to live is Christ. But I want to. I want to. I want to be able to say that the reason why I'm alive is because of the Son of God who saved me from hell. I want to be more excited about that than I am all of the plans and dreams and ideas that I have. Let me encourage you this morning. Believing, Paul said this, I believe that allowing him to live his life through me is better than me living my life to please myself. To die is gain. There's no real living apart from Christ. And whether you want to die today or you don't want to die today, if you are saved, you will gain in the day of your death. You will gain. You may think life couldn't get any better. Oh, it can. On the other side, it's a lot better. The singing is better. (laughs) The environment's better. The fellowship is better. I mean, everything is better on the other side. You'll be stronger than you've ever been. You'll be holier than you, you'll be happier than you've ever been when you get on the other side. Why? Because then face to face. But Paul, interestingly enough, had a difficult time making a choice between heaven and here. Because he said, either way, if I get to see that source of life, or if I just experience it by faith while I'm on this earth, Either way, I want Christ to be glorified. Christian, would you consider with me this morning how much of your life is Christ? Let's bow our heads in prayer.